Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is the incredible Deborah Bonham. Deborah comes from one of the great musical families uh, the UK's ever produced, the Bonham family. And she is a tremendous singer and one of the finest, finest blues rock and soul singers the UK has ever produced. She works all over the world. She's got a new album coming out with her partner, the great Peter Bullock, Bonham Bullock. And we could not be more excited to have a chance to talk to Deborah Bonham. So welcome, Deborah. Hey, Matt, thank you for having me. It's great to be on your show. So Deborah, you grew up, and we mentioned this at the top, in a, in a great musical family. And I guess it really started with your mom and dad and some of the old great American big band music and, and much more than that. Yeah. Um... I mean, from whenever I can remember, and certainly I know uh, from my brother John, when he was growing up, mom and dad always played fantastic music in the house. So we had, we had Benny Goodman, we had Glenn Miller, we had um, Mahalia Jackson, Sarah Vaughan, or, or you know, it, it it was yeah, they loved their music. Mom and dad did, and it was a real. Um, linchpin for John, you know, because growing up listening to Benny Goodman and of course Gene Krupa was the drummer, he just, you know, fell in love with Gene Krupa and absolutely adored him, you know, and Buddy Rich. But John John really loved Gene Krupa's playing. So yeah, it sort of all stemmed from there. And because I'm um, 14 years younger than John would have been. Um, and so I grew up on the back of listening to all his music as well. And my other brother, who was 12 years older than me, but they they played everything. They got into the Motown, you know, uh, they got into all the soul music, James Brown. So John was loving uh, Clive Stubblefield's drumming and, you know, all of that. So um, I, I just, I had a, just a wealth of music, a real eclectic mix as well, you know, because there was all sorts going on. Um, there was Hendrix, there was Janis Joplin, there was the West Coast stuff. So you had Crosby, Stills and Nash and Fleetwood Mac and Joni Mitchell. And, and then we had Aretha Franklin and Otis Redding. And it wasn't just, you know, and, and the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees were always in there because John absolutely loved the harmonies. So, yeah, it was a real eclectic mix. Fantastic. And we'll talk about John, of course, but your brother Michael also into music. And wasn't he a, a photographer as well? Yeah, he was an absolute fantastic photographer. Um, and he DJed for a while in, at, at Northern Soul Clubs in the UK. Um, and sadly, he passed away as well in 2000. So, um, yeah, I've lost both brothers and they were way too young to, to go. But that's the way it goes, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so tough to lose a younger person in particular. Yeah, and they were they were were my big brothers, and we were we were all really really close, you know. Um, but uh, you know, this is what happens in life, I guess. I just I, you know, I I think back on the memories, and of course the music, and it was always funny in our house, you know. They were very funny guys. Michael and John were very very. They were comedic, and it was always very funny. But there was always this great music, so. There were regular, um, definitely after when John got his first house after, you know, Led Zeppelin won, um, as the royalty started coming in, um, there was always weekend parties, you know, for the whole family. And all the music would go on and then John would play the drums and then he grabbed Jason, who was probably about four years old, going, come on, you can play them. You can. So, yeah, it was a real, 
it was a real big um a big family and um who all loved to have a party and all love music it sounds like a lot of laughs a lot of music a lot of love we are such all of us enormous fans of john and led zeppelin we don't know that much about john the the, the john that we wouldn't see on stage the incredible right. drummer. we know a lot about jason you know who yeah. you, you you referred to also his son also a great drummer but yeah. tell us some stuff about john that we don't know that only you as his sister could know well i think you know we, uh... And it's been said, it's, it's tiresome, really, all the stuff that keeps regurgitating over and over about Led Zeppelin's private life or what they were like on tour, or, you know. It, um, it, it gets a bit tiresome, all of that, because the reality was that John was the most unassuming man, you know, at, at home. He was, he was, I wouldn't say he was a regular Joe, John could never be that, but... He loved to cook, you know, he'd, he'd get up and, and, and he would make breakfast and, and he, he always needed to be doing something. So, you know, he'd suddenly bundle us all in the car and we'd go off up to Blackpool, which is um, in the north of the UK, where there's a big um, fair. Um, and we had the funniest time. It was me and Jason and our cousin Paul and John, and we, off we went up there. And they have these, um, this water log like a big dipper, but it's in, you're in a log and you're in water. And John got in it and the whole thing nearly tipped up and us kids got in, you know, and, and he just was just, he was just a family man and, and loved a good laugh. He loved a drink, yes, he did. Um, but there was a lot, lot more to him. He was, you know, he was eloquent, he was intelligent. He, he, he would love to get on the tractor. We used to go chasing each other. I mean, silly games like, chasing each other over the fields or, uh, you know, Jason, me, the, the cousins, John, Matthew, we'd all, the, there'd be these ridiculous chases over the field or all standing on um, pumped up uh, water beds on the swimming pool and having these, it's a knockout fight, you know, all trying to push each other off. And there'd be John and, and Matthew and maybe my brother, Michael, and me and, me and the kids, Jason and Paul, and we'd all be trying to push each other off. So it was constant you know, family stuff. Um, and it was all, always very funny. As I say, there was always a party and it was just, it had its down moments, you know, with, with a lot of ups come a lot of downs. And there was, we were all pretty volatile people, I guess. So there were always a few moments where it might just kick off. <laughs> um, but gosh, no, everybody, everybody loved each other deeply. A little, and, a little and, volatile, that is, that is priceless, Deborah. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it's funny because it's still like that now with the with our band and and Pete. You know, Pete, John would have John didn't ever get to meet Pete, but he would have loved him. Pete was just totally his type of guy because Pete, um, you know, he's Irish and he loves to have a beer. And if there's a fight going any time when he was young, he'd like to get involved in that as well. Peter would. <laughs> so. Um, you know, he's, you know, John and him would have just hit it off. Um, you know, Peter's a very lovely, kind guy as well. So, yeah. So, you know, you hear all these stories about John and, you know, the bottom line was that he, he would, I think touring was a very lonely place for him, but drumming was his, his, his big love, you know. Um, 
whether that, you know, he couldn't let that go, but his wife and his family, uh, Pat and uh, Jason Zoe were everything to him. So to leave them and leave the farm was a massive deal for him. But of course he loved drumming. So I think he found it a lonely place. And, you know, I keep telling everybody that people need to remember that they, they were kids when they joined Led Zeppelin. They were late teenagers, you know. Well, what lad isn't going to go a little bit crazy, you know, with all that fame, adulation, or everything that came with Led Zeppelin in the in the late sixties, early seventies? I think, you know, I don't think anybody would have come out of that uh, not going a little bit crazy, you know. Um, so people, it's just constantly regurgitated, even over, after all these years, you know, there'll be another book comes out, isn't it? And you just think, oh, for goodness sakes. Most of the stories that you hear are actually the roadies, not the band. Um, I know that much, but, um, you know, it is what it is. But John, he was a great guy at home. And so is Robert. Robert's very much that way too. Well, listen, when you're part of something like Led Zeppelin, you know, you enter that rarefied air where your life is of interest 30, 40, 50 years later. You know, think, yeah. about, think about Deborah, all the people that we know in, in music, in, in film, you know, artists, business people, regular people. How yeah. many from, you know, 40, 50 years ago are we still talking about today yeah. as Absolutely. if it was yesterday, right? Led, Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin's one of them. Yeah, and the, and the one doesn't come without the other. You know, you can't you can't get to that heady height and that fame, and 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 that level of, of money and and everything that that they achieved. It you know it's a bit of what what we call the price of fame, isn't it? You know, I mean that comes with the territory, and and you sign up for that when you get involved in this industry. That's what happens. Um, and, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, John loved to be out there. He loved being out there on that stage and playing his drums and, and being the best at what he did, you know. He wasn't a shrinking violet. It was just that at home, he was a, a real family man and lots of family holidays and, and a lot of fun. I mean, it was funny. I, I miss the humour. I, I do definitely miss the humour of the two boys. And it's great having this band, they're like, surrogate brothers really because we've all been together so long you know I've been with Pete 31 years I've been with the bass player since we were 16 um, so that's a bit more than 31 years and the keyboard player you know uh, 25 years I mean we've just all been together a long time so we have such a laugh and that helps you know it helps because of growing up with two brothers it was very male orientated and and but it was just so funny and when they went it was I missed that desperately so it's great now that I mean you know we we have such a laugh on tour with the band it's very very funny so yeah. let's so let's start talking about music and get to the new record and your career which is fantastic but you grew up in a music household we talked about that you know your mom yeah. dad and and from everything from Mahalia Jackson to Benny Goodman and everything in between. You started to sing it very young. Did John pick up the drums very young? Was Michael also playing something? Were all, do I have this image in my head now of all three of you sitting around, you know, playing, singing, oh, et cetera. No, I, I was too young. Um, I've got some wonderful um, family uh, cine, cine films where 
Michael's playing the guitar and John's hitting the drum. <laughs> and they, you know, they would um, they'd have a play when they were kids, yeah. But Michael's wasn't really. You had, big, you had that big age gap, right? No, well, well, Michael only had it. They, they were two years apart. Oh, so but, those you, but, you, but you, you and the brothers. Me, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't involved in in anything really. And and by the time um, I decided that I wanted to sing, because I was singing at school all the time and doing a bit of opera. Trained in, in had a great teacher that um, that was an opera teacher, um, but. John really, I remember telling him when I was about 15, 16, that I really wanted to go, you know, be a singer. And I think he was slightly horrified. I think he just didn't want to think of his sister in his kid sister in that in that industry because he'd seen a very, yeah, unsavory side of it as well. And it, and and true enough, you know, it wasn't easy for women. I've I've talked to Maggie Bell from Stone the Crows about this, about how she how she dealt with it back in the 70s, because she was voted the number one female singer in, by Melody Maker in the UK. She was signed to the Led Zeppelin uh, Swan Song label, managed by Peter Grant. And, and I know her well, and we often, she's one of the greatest female vocalists. I mean, she's been a, a total inspiration to me. And, you know, she tells me how, how damn tough it was for women um, in the industry. So I think John knew that. So I stayed on at school until um, I was 18 and, and literally he, he passed away when I was 18. So just 18. So, um, yeah, I didn't ever really get to do any music with him, which is sad, you know, because now I think it would it would be great if he was um, alive. You know, um, I often think about that, but I think he would love the music that we do because it's rooted in everything that he loved. So um, I'd like to think he'd be, I knew, I, you know, the way he was, he, if we were playing, he wouldn't be able to help himself. He'd, he'd ask our drummer to get off the seat while he got up for a couple of numbers and then he'd get off and say, okay, carry on. <laughs> I know he'd be like that. <laughs> oh, just incredible stories. And uh, what, 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 what a, what a, what a, um, um, I, I always know what to say, Deborah. You really left me speechless with that one. Ah. <laughs> So let's let's talk about um, Peter. You've been together yeah. a long time. You've yes. been together a long time. Tell me how you first met. He's such an accomplished musician, originally from Belfast. Most people associate his name with the great Paul Rogers. Yes. Uh, but let's talk about how you first met, the collaboration. And of course, we're going to talk about the album that's coming out in April. Well, we met at a friend's wedding. Um, I was a friend of the groom and he was a friend of the bride and it was in London and he was in a real butt kicking covers band, you know, bar band in, in London. He'd come over from Belfast. He was playing guitar um, and he joined this band. They were called Paddy Goes to Hollyhead and uh, they, they were a great band. I have to say they do everything from, um, a lot of the old blues classics, but also Tom Petty, Georgia Satellites, uh, you know, all, all, all manner of, of, of covers they would do. And they were really, really good. So they offered the bride that they would be, they, their wedding gift would be to, to be the band on the, on the night, you know, for everybody to enjoy. So when the evening came and I got to the party, my friend who was a groom said, Deb, are you going to get up and 
you've got to get up and sing. He was from New York, a guy called Eddie Murphy, not the one that is the famous one. <laughs> but our friend Eddie from New York, he um, he said to me, you know, Deb, you got to get up, you got to get up. I went, oh, well, okay, you know, and I was listening to this guitarist and thinking, wow, he's playing some good stuff. Anyway, I, I went up and I think we did rock and roll, Led Zeppelin, to be honest, because I think it was the only thing I knew that they knew. So we did, um, yeah, we did that. And that was it. And um, we haven't been apart since. We've been 24-7 since that day. So 28th of um, 28th of December, 1990, we met. So yeah, crazy. And um, about, uh, you know, just shortly after that, I was already in a band and, and then we just started collaborating. And I said, well, what, you know, why don't we, why don't we get a band together? And uh, that was what we did. And the rest is history, I guess we just, We've just carried on. Um, we've never had separate jobs. Like he's never gone to a nine to five job and neither have I. We've always um, done our work together. We found work together. Um, so yeah, I guess in normal married people's years, I guess we're on about 130 or something <laughs> because it's 24 seven, we never get a break. <laughs> and Deborah, most of us in the you know, regular world, uh, never get to do some of the things that you have. I mean, you've been on stage so many places. One of the special places I've been very lucky to go to uh, in London is Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think yeah. Well, I think, I, what, tell us, take us behind the curtain. That's got to be very exciting for you, but oh. also unique and not something that most of us ever get to experience. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I pinch myself sometimes, you know, um, of the just the things that we have achieved, the people that we've played with, like you mentioned, Paul Rogers. Um, it was just uh, just a moment to be on stage singing a duet with Paul Rogers. Pete was playing guitar and, you know, things like that. Um, being on stage with Robert Plant, he's joined us. He, he's been to a few of our shows, you know, and he's got up and and. Uh, done a couple of numbers and, um, and and many others Donovan did a duet with him and uh, Van Halen with uh, Sammy Hagar and there's so many people and people's great soul legend and I look at it and I think good grief you know um, I never thought we would ever have been in that position whereby these people think we're good enough to play with them and that's what happened with the with the first time at the Albert Hall um, it was a tribute to, uh, I think that was the first time for me. Yes, it was. Um, it was a tribute to Ronnie Lane. And all these bands were playing and, and uh, we, our band was invited to, to get up and play. And um, Ronnie Lane of the, the Faces. Yeah. And, um, and we got there and I just remember walking on those boards, you know, and knowing that Led Zeppelin had played there as well and John had uh been you know had his kit set up on those boards and all the fantastic people frank sinatra gosh everybody who's played the albert hall so to walk out you know uh, i had laryngitis as well which was just i thought that's just typical you know i want to been playing the albert hall and i've got laryngitis i thought hey i had a couple of whiskeys and i was i just thought come on i'm going i'm, I'm gonna do it <laughs> and we went out and it was just I can't explain the feeling. It, it, it was just incredible to play the Albert Hall. And then we subsequently did it with Paul Rogers. Um, 
and I, yeah, I think we've done it a few times now and every time it's still the buzz you never not get the buzz you know as soon as you go out there you just look around and you think oh well it's the Albert Hall <laughs> you know it is quite special yeah there is a magic to you know being in a great room like that oh no? totally really I is. mean it is it is spectacular and it has all that memory inside it, you know, it does carry something, the Albert Hall. It carries a, an energy, and an incredible energy. And as soon as you go in there, you feel the goosebumps, you know. And um, I mean, we've, I've even done it as a, a, a duo. It was myself and our keyboard player, Jared Lewis. And we were opening up for Paul Rogers. Um, and we just went out and I sang and he just played piano. And we had a massive standing ovation and it was, I, the tears were just streaming down my face because it was so, it, it was, you know, you could feel that it was, it was definitely palpable. You could feel the energy in the room and it wasn't just the energy of the audience. It's the energy of everything that that building has gone through, what it survived through, you know, through the war and, and everything that the Albert Hall uh, it's, it's quite an amazing place, yeah. And backstage, I mean, it's got these um, underneath. Underneath is really quite um, quite spooky. If you go un right down underneath the Albert Hall, it's all these corridors. And one of our crew guys was um, was down there. Um, I forget why he had to go down there. There was something happening anyway. He went down there, opened one of the doors, and saw. Um, four soldiers in there and he just thought oh they were in uh, costume you know for because it's the Albert Hall and he came back up and he said I didn't realize it was a play on or anything was happening it's just the music tonight right and I said yeah yeah why and he said um, I've just been in a room and there's four soldiers and he said as I shut the door he said I did think it was a bit strange because they had mud on their boots and I went, okay, all righty, all right, okay, well, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not going down there. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's got a, it's got a vibe. It's definitely got a vibe, but it's a great one. It's not a, not a, not a bad one. It's a beautiful vibe in there. Oh, it's, it's, it sure is, sure is. And you've also been on stage. You mentioned Paul, but so many other icons of music. Robert Plant, you yeah. mentioned as well, of course. But that's got to be a special magic also to share the stage with so many other wonderful musicians oh. alongside you and you and Peter. Totally. I mean, again, it's that pinch moment because, you know, we grew up playing these guys and you never you just never think that one day you might be that they think that you're worthy enough. That's the thing that always gets me. They think you're worthy enough to join you or ask you to join them on stage. And, and that's the big thing. And it doesn't really matter how many records you end up selling or what fame you hit. It's just the fact that these guys think you're worthy and that's that's enough for me. You know, I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm there. That, that's just amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. And when you lay awake, uh, Deborah, at night, you think about, you know, particular magical moments that really make you smile. What comes to mind? Well, it, with, to do with the music, there's so many of them. I mean, we did um, a show that was celebrating um, the life of Steve Marriott, who I absolutely adored as a, as a vocalist. And I, I loved Humble Pie. And both my brothers loved Humble Pie. And it was them that got me into, into it, you know. And um, 
I had um, covered a, a song called Black Coffee that Steve Marriott and Humble Pie had done on the possibly Thunderbox album. No, no, it was on Eat It, I think. Um, and so they were having this memorial and, and I don't know how I, I, I think Pete blagged me onto the, onto the show and it was all being filmed and I did Black Coffee and uh, if you think you're groovy and, um, and it was fantastic. And Peter Frampton said, do you want to come up and sing uh, backup whilst, Humble, whilst we go on? It was the whole of Humble Pie, Greg Ridley, Clem Clemson, uh, Joey Shirley on drums and, and Peter Frampton. It was just minus Steve. And they wanted to do this song called Shine On and, and you know, would I go and do the, the BVs? And that was a moment just while I was stood there, I thought, this is humble pie, <laughs> you know, and that that does always make me smile. And from that moment, Jerry said to me, um, listen, if, if ever you need a drummer, girl, I'm your bloke. And I thought, Jerry Shirley wants to play drums with us. Oh, OK. Anyway, he did. He joined us for 10 years. So we often used to do, um, you know, I don't need no doctor or we used to do a humble pie song um, in the set. Um, but yeah, so I always smile at that one. And, and, and the same with Paul and, and with Robert, you know, and, and people singing um, I Can't Stand the Rain. That was a moment because she's just one of the greatest soul singers ever. So, yeah, there's been many moments. Um, Dan McCafferty from uh, Nazareth, that makes me smile. We were playing with Nazareth on tour in, in the UK and we, um, we were up in Scotland, their hometown, in, in this big theatre. And we finished our set with a, um, a Lorraine Ellison song called um, Stay With Me, Stay With Me Baby. And uh, as I was singing it, Dan walked out onto the stage and just started singing, you know, this. this. And I, I, I got into Nazareth because of my brother, John. He absolutely loved Nazareth and the stories they told me, you know, things like they'd be sitting there in, in America and John would be uh, going to see them and their tour bus had broken down. And uh, Dan McCafferty said, oh, you know, John, we, we, we can't we kind of do another show because the tour bus had broken down. And John at the time was traveling on the airship, you know, they had the Led Zeppelin airship parked up. So he said to Dan and Pete Agnew of um, Nazareth, well, yeah, you know what, just take our air, airship. It's fine, you can use that. And Dan McCafferty turned to him and said, John, we couldn't afford the parking, let alone the petrol for it. <laughs> so it was just they were just such oh, you know, great, great people to work with. It was and they've all got connections to my brothers and family. So it's just, yeah, it's wonderful. And Robert played a role in the new record, I understand. Well, he, he listen, he he what he did, he's he's a close, he's such a close friend to me. He's like and to Peter, he's, he's like my brother, um, surrogate brother. And um, I mean, I've known him since I was six. So, you know, I'm, we're very close. I love him, love him dearly. And I, um, I value his, his um, musical integrity, you know. I mean, he's, he's an amazing, amazing music man. He, he knows great songs. He knows great music. He also knows great production and sound. Um, he's just phenomenal. And so he's right up there for me. 
he's my go-to, you know, I'll play his records and listen to how he's done it. And, and I'll think, yeah, you know, he pushes it all. He's always pushing it to the next level. And so I, I played him the record. And so, yeah, he, he would help me in a way of, yeah, I like that, but I think you could do that or this. And, and then when it came to mixing the album, um, I just wasn't happy with the mixes that we'd done. And I played it to him and he went, yeah, I can hear that. He said, you really need to go and see Tim Oliver at Real World Studios, Peter Gabriel's studio. And I thought, really? How, how do I get in there? You know, I mean, they're quite picky about who, you know, Tim doesn't just mix anybody. He's, he's very, consider, you know, he considers it. And if he gets the music, then yeah. Anyway, I rang him up and sent him the music. He loved it. And he said, yeah, I'll mix it for you. So that, that was the sort of connection. And he did, I mean, you know, I could have, I could have just run off with Tim Oliver. He was so great. <laughs> he, just, he just got it, you know. He got exactly what I was thinking. Fantastic. And, and, and if you're going to have a musical consigliere, Robert Plant is not a bad one to have, right? There you go. I love the word, consigliere. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, there's another artist who you uh, worked with or recorded a song from on the album, who I love, Bernard Fowler. Oh, absolutely. I've not worked with him, but I've always loved Bernard Fowler. And um, I just think, what a voice and what a songwriter. He's just fantastic. I absolutely adore him. And I, and I had the, my, my very good friend in Princeton, um, Gary Nesbitt, um, he sent me the Burra. Um, and I listened to that album and I just loved it. But See You Again just absolutely knocked me sideways. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I want, I want, I want to have a go at this. Um, just because it's so beautifully written and, and such gorgeous lyrics, it just resonated with me. So that's how I got involved with Bernard Fowler. Uh, I haven't worked with him yet, but I sure would like to. <laughs> so many years. I'm putting that out there. I, I absolutely would love to work with Bernard Fowler. Okay, maybe if we can get Bernard to tune in here uh, to this yeah. episode of Great Minds, <laughs> your dreams can come true. Yeah, we saw him for many, many years. I'm sure you recall he and Lisa Fisher singing yeah. uh, singing BVs for the Stones all those years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's been that's where I first years and years ago. I mean, he's been with the Stones for years, hasn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. you know, in his own right, his own music, it's it's sensational. And that album, The Burra, is is absolutely fantastic. One yeah. of my favorite albums. I'm always impressed because his name comes up. We had uh, Marshall Chess you know, of Fame Chess Records uh, yes. on the show. And he was talking about Bernard Fowler. And I think, you know, you're another you're, you're someone else who really knows music. And it's yeah. interesting that, you know, he's not famous in the same way, you know, that we typically, that culture defines famous, but real music people love and appreciate him. Exactly. He is, so, he is so well respected. And I think that, you know, I think that's all we can ever ask for as a, as a writer and a musician is if you, if you command that type of respect, you've done something incredible. And I think he has. Yeah. So yeah. I agree with you. All right, so Bonham Bullock is coming out pretty soon. Um, are there any plans to tour behind it? Is, it, is there a chance we're going to get you on this side of the Atlantic? Well, yes, God willing. I mean, I, um, 
I so want to come over there. We, we were there in 2018 with the Stars Align tour, which was Paul Rogers, Jeff Beck and Ann Wilson, which was fantastic. And off the back of that, um, that's how we we met with Bruce Quarto and, and Mike Carden, the Bruce Quarto who owns Quarto Valley Records. And Mike Carden is the label's operations director. Mike. Uh, an old veteran of the music industry working at East West and, and Eagle Rock and fantastic guys they are and they saw us there and that's how we ended up signing with them um, and that's how this album's come about and they've been so great giving us carte blanche really to, to produce the music ourselves they really have been supportive such a great label and they're, they're based in California um, so yeah being with a US label, we really, really want to come out there. And that we came back in 2019, played the cutting room in New York, which was absolutely fantastic. I mean, that was a cool venue, really cool venue. We did that. We did Daryl Hall's place upstate and uh, Levon Helms in, um, in Woodstock. So they were three very, very cool venues. So we were super excited doing that. And then the plan was that the album would come out and we'd come back to the States and then boom, the, uh, the pandemic hit. Right. So that was sort of everything put on hold, you know. Right. And that was okay. And you know, it, it, we got through. And so here we are now, um, the album's coming out on the 29th of April and it's coming out worldwide. And we're going to tour here in the UK and we've got some shows in Europe, but we, really want to come over there and so we're just gonna hold back and just we're well we're waiting really to see a if restrictions start to lift and b that an agent promoter takes us on that's the next thing you know if 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 there's some movement with the album then they'll take they'll they'll bring us over so you know we're doing everything we can to promote it and and then hopefully an agent or promoter will say okay you can come if not we just we, the guy from the cutting room has already said i want you back now just come back so i yeah. said to pete you know what let's just get a flight to new york and go and play the cutting room <laughs> i know it's, i know it's probably not a not a, a financial um great deal to do that what with all the flights <laughs> but hey you know you only live once don't you don't put anything off the world's too volatile at the minute let's get it done now <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Deborah Bonham, it is such a joy to talk to you. Uh, very you. excited about the new record and uh, we'll come and see you over in your side of the Atlantic or, or perhaps get you over here back to the cutting room. Yeah, I'm, I, I believe me, we're definitely coming back to the cutting room. That's without, and I'm hoping that's going to be this fall. And it would be good if we had a few more shows to sort of make the, the trip worth it. But I tell you, just being at the cutting room is worth it. It really is such a cool place. We had such a ball. So, yeah. And I can have a few days off in New York and do some shopping. That'd be great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. We love talking to you and every success. Thank you so much. Thank you. So much great Advertising Week content, so little time. 
Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.